Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. Well, thanks everyone for being here um, and for coming back to hear more from the book of James. Um, We've been listening to um, Pastor Tyler preach on the book of James for a few weeks now, and um, it's pretty hard-hitting stuff. James doesn't pull any punches, and today isn't any different. Um, Today, we're going to be looking at pursuing perfection. Now, that's not quite as scary as it sounds, um, but it's something that, that James takes seriously. He talks about it in our passage today. He talks about it previously. And it's something that God uh, has in store for us. Perfection is something that God wants us to look at. So um, as we open, we're going to be looking at uh, the book of James, chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. He says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horse mouths, and they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that we have laid before us. We thank you for uh, your Holy Spirit that has inspired your word to be written. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that redeems us, that gives us new life. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that enables us to live the lives that you would have us live as followers of Christ. Lord, we thank you that we do not go through this alone, but we go through this in the community of believers into which you have placed us. Lord, please speak through your word to our hearts. Lord, change our hearts that we may become more like Christ. We lift these things up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we start sort of an interesting way, and this is one of those passages that makes me think that God has a sense of humor. 
Because when God inspired James to write this passage, he started off with, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that until the consummation of all things, the second coming of Jesus Christ, there will be teachers who had to teach on how many of us should not become teachers. So, hold on, it's going to be a wild ride. All right, so James starts off, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many things. So we're going to start out talking about trustworthy teachers. Now, one of the things we have to look at when we look at the Word of God is that chapter divisions, the the headings that, that they put in your Bibles aren't necessarily inspired. So this this passage flows out of the last passage. And last week, Pastor Tyler was talking about showing our faith by our works. And this passage starts out with, let not many of you become teachers. And one of the, things, one of the other things we need to look at is where James is coming from. James is coming from a primarily Jewish background. So what James is looking at is his experience of teachers, his experience with the scribes and the Pharisees. And if we think of how Jesus characterized most of the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees, it wasn't necessarily something that we want to emulate. If we look back in uh, Matthew chapter 24, um, Jesus goes into, or sorry, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus has a long discourse about the scribes and the Pharisees. And the way he starts out is, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. So they sit in Moses' seat. These Jewish leaders sit in positions of authority. And he he goes on to say they want to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi. They're looking for that, that praise of men. They're looking for... Um, for something for themselves. Okay? But he says, but you, speaking to his followers, do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Okay? Don't look to have those positions over one another. Okay? And then what he goes on to say about the Pharisees is he pronounces judgment on them. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you're not doing what you say you're doing. So we have a transition in James using leaders and being say, be careful about who you set over you as teachers. Who wants to become teachers? Is it people who are being self-serving? Is it people who are hypocrites? Okay. If, if we've learned anything over the course of James, it's, it's not just to talk the talk, but to walk the walk. Jesus, James wants us to put our money where our mouth is. James wants us to live out our faith. He wants us not to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Live it out. And so he's admonishing his followers, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Jesus pronounced that stricter judgment against the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you. That's a pretty strict judgment. Okay? So knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. Hey, here James is letting us know, 
hey, we all make mistakes. So when we go to talk about perfection, we're not talking about sinlessness. We're not talking about flawlessness. We're not talking about, about becoming like Jesus in his complete sinlessness. No one can be like Jesus. Only Jesus is Jesus. Only Jesus is perfectly sinless. So even James says we all stumble in many things. And this is, this is James the just. This is old camel knees. Okay? So if any of us, so if, if Eric be not nearly so just as James, if I can't go and look at myself and say, oh, I'm going uh, to be perfect. I'm not going to stumble. None of us can say that. Okay? But the other thing is, he says, let not many of you become teachers. So some people have to be teachers. Okay? God shows us elsewhere, teachers are a grace gift from Jesus Christ himself. Teachers are a grace gift to the body of Jesus Christ. Teachers are a blessing to us from Christ himself. In Ephesians, Paul writes, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus gives us teachers to help us to mature. That's the purpose of teachers. They're a gift from God. So we can't do without teachers. We can't be as a body who God has called us to be as a body without teachers, without teachers to lead us and help us to become the mature people, the perfect people that God wants us to be. And that word perfect was in there. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we're going to come back to that. I also can't make it through uh, a time up here during Pastor Appreciation Month without saying what a blessing it is to have a faithful man of God as our teacher, as our pastor, Pastor Tyler Shields, who comes up here with a single-minded focus week after week, preaching the Word of God, not preaching what he wants to hear, not preaching what we want to hear, but preaching what God wants us to hear. And we've heard a lot of that through, we've heard a lot of that. So, thank you, Pastor Tyler. Because the other thing that we're warned about in Scripture, about having lots of teachers, uh, Paul gives that to us in uh, the book of uh, Timothy. Uh, he says in, let's uh, yep, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, that they will, that they, that the church at some point will want to heap up for themselves teachers because we'll have itching ears. We don't want to hear sound doctrine anymore. We just want to hear someone stand up here and tell us what we want to hear. Okay. And I thank God that that's not what we have. Uh, that's, not, that's not what we have here. There are entire denominations that have walked away, that have fallen away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ because teachers are teaching what people want to hear. They're scratching some itching ears. Okay. We need to hear the tough stuff. We need to hear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through him. We need to hear that. We need to hear that we need a Savior. We need to hear that um, 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven among all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. We need a savior. We need to hear that. So we need teachers. But let not many of you become teachers. For we all stumble in many things. We all make mistakes. Going on to the next part here. Okay, here's where we start talking about perfection. Here's where it gets interesting. Okay, so we need to manage our perceptions of perfection. Our perceptions of perfection. Okay, so as I was doing my study on this, I came across a great definition of, perspe- of perfection, and it helps us to keep a perspective on perfection as well. This comes from uh, Bill Mounts. He says, connected to the theological idea of telos, Teleos, which is the word, the root word we have here, conveys the sense of something reaching its end and therefore its completion or perfection. This is not the idea of ethical perfection by degrees, but rather a sense of undivided wholeness of heart before God. Read that again. Undivided wholeness of heart before God. And this by promise of God. The notion of per- perfection in contemporary English conveys the idea of sinlessness, But teleos, the Greek word, refers to completion without reference to fault or sin. For something to be perfect means to fulfill its ultimate design. For example, a chair is perfect if it has four legs and can support a person, thus fulfilling the purpose for which it was designed. Now, our purpose is a whole lot more complicated than just having four legs and being able to support a person. But it's actually, I mean, it's... It's relatively simple, it's just really, really hard to live out. Okay. And before we, before we get into that, I want to have a little bit word about words. Okay. Because the rest of this passage, we're talking about words, we're talking about the tongue. But the thing is, those are the words that are in the passage, but it's not really what James is getting at. Okay. For example, what is the tongue? It's a muscular organ on the floor of the mouth. It aids in chewing, swallowing, and speech, and is the location of organs of taste. Is that really a problem? Is that going to cause problems? Is that uh, something that God really wants us to work on? Is this organ that's in our mouth that, that helps in chewing and swallowing and tasting? Okay. So there's something behind that. That word is standing for another concept. Are we talking about words? Are we talking about speech? Are we talking about communication? Well, the word word uh, refers to a speech sound or a mixture of two or more speech sounds in both written and verbal form of language. A word works as a symbol to represent or refer to something or someone in language to communicate a specific meaning. Well, that's really pretty neutral. Okay? There's, so there's nothing wrong with words. There's nothing wrong with the tongue. There's nothing wrong with communication. Okay? We can communicate without the tongue. We can communicate without words. Okay? So what is James really getting at? And here's what hurts, okay? Because he's getting at the heart, okay? Which means that I can't stand up here and just say, okay, clamp your mouth shut. Just don't say it. Bite your tongue. That doesn't cover it. I can't say, take a vow of silence. It's too easy. Because what what it takes is radical change. Because what James is talking about is the heart. James is talking about the very essence of our being, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay? There is a hair trigger between the heart and the tongue. So what comes out of our mouths is altogether too often exactly right what's in our heart. And so that's what we have to work on. 
That's where you have to work on changing. Not our tongues, not our words, but our hearts. And that takes a lot of work. So, what we're really looking at here, and we see that we see this in Matthew 12, starting in verse 33, Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So we're not just talking about fruit here. We're talking about the root. So we need to get at the root of the problem. And that means getting to the heart. And that means when we talk about being perfected, remember we're talking about the undivided wholeness of heart before God. What is in our hearts before God? Are we saying one thing and doing another? And we shouldn't shy away from the concept of perfection. Jesus doesn't shy away from the concept of perfection. In Matthew 5, he says, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And he means it. He's not saying that that's something that's absolutely unattainable. And I will say, okay, the the sinless perfection of Jesus Christ is unattainable. Don't get me wrong on that. We cannot do that. We will make mistakes. We will stumble. But we should all be pursuing perfection. We should all be pursuing that undivided wholeness of heart. We should be searching, we should be striving to fulfill our ultimate design. James doesn't shy away from it. In James 1, what does he tell us? Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James doesn't shy away from this word, so it's something we should look at. In James 2, he says, by works, faith was made perfect when he's talking about Abraham. Okay? So the completion, the fulfilling the purpose of the works, fulfilling, uh, fulfilling the, uh, bringing Abraham's faith to completion okay, made it perfect. So the question is, as we look further into this passage, we see, okay, so what, what effect does the heart have? Where does the heart direct us? How does the heart affect others? Because when James brings up these other images, we see that the heart doesn't just affect us. The heart affects people outside of us. The heart has, or sorry, the tongue, our words magnify the effect of what is in our heart. So as we look at um, verse 3, it says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. So just like bits, just like rudders, 
the tongue doesn't really do anything by itself. It's guided. Someone's holding the reins. Someone is steering the ship. Someone has their hands on the rudder. Okay. Who is it? Who has their hands on the rudder? Who is holding the reins of, your, of our hearts? Who's at the helm? Okay. Is it our sinful nature? Is it that we have, um, by virtue of our identification with Adam, just the flesh at work in us? Or is it the Holy Spirit at work in us? Does the Holy Spirit have control of our tongues? Does the Holy Spirit control us? Because okay. in a way, we're all teachers. We all have influence over other people. We all try to make the intentions of our hearts manifest in others, manifest to others. So how are we doing that? Okay. The passage that we're looking at here talks about control. It talks about someone consciously directing something else. Okay. And we can kind of fake that, right? Okay. We can think through it. We can think before we speak. And we can make ourselves sound good. And we can guide and direct. And that's great when that is consciously driven, when that is driven by the Holy Spirit at work. When we have a faithful teacher up here giving us direction, telling us to follow the, Holy, follow the Great Commission, telling us to love God, love others, okay? giving us direction as a church, that's great. But we also have uh, an issue when the words get out of control. Here's where it really hurts when we look at our hearts. We look at verses, uh, the last half of verse 5 and verse 6. Okay. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Those are some tough words. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Okay. Does that mean that we can blame our words, blame our hurtful words on demonic influence, on the devil? Okay. Sort of, but not like everything that we say right now. We need to look back at Genesis 3. We need to look back at the initial problem of sin and how our hearts left to themselves without the Holy Spirit make that manifest. Okay. So the first, the first problem is set, is set in motion. That fire is set when the serpent says, did God really say Did God really say? Okay. And that's kind of the problem that we have nowadays too. Did God really say? Did God really say you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect? Did God really say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Did God really say? Yes. Yes, he did. And we need to be willing to say that. We need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We need to fight fire with fire, okay? Because 
the fire of hell is not the only fire out there. Okay? Because our God is a consuming fire. And I thank Darla for sending out that, uh, that prayer email this morning, reminding us that our God is a consuming fire. Our God consumes his enemies before him. Okay? Our God is a refining fire. He refines us like fire. We see that in the Psalms. He refines us through trials. He refines us. And we come through the fire, tried and trusted. We come through the fire into abundance. So the idea of this, uh, of this fire also in our, you know, what comes out when, we, when the overflow of our hearts, okay, when out of the overflow of our hearts, when out of the abundance of our hearts, the mouth speaks, that begs the question, what's filling our hearts? Are our hearts filled with the things of this world? Are the hearts, our hearts filled with things of this culture? Are the hearts, or are our hearts filled with the Word of God? So when we are overworked, overstressed, underrested, and something comes in, what comes out? When, something, when somebody asks a question, when somebody does something that we don't appreciate, when we're stressed and we're tired, what comes out? Okay? What comes out is what's filling our hearts, and that's going to hurt a lot of times. So here's where it's important to remember that the hearer has a responsibility as well. Because we are a community of people living together, we're a community of sinners saved by grace. We are people who are going to stumble. We are not perfected yet. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes in our speech. So while we are called to let no corrupt word proceed out of our mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that may impart grace to the hearer, that doesn't always happen. So we need to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave us. Okay? So there's responsibility for the hearers as well. Okay? It's, it's not all the communicators' responsibility. Okay? We need to, be, need to have grace and show grace to others as well. So what's filling our hearts? Okay? Are we meditating on Scripture? Are we filling our hearts with the Word of God? Are we living as Jesus lived, just soaked in the word of God, breathing. It's, is it the air we breathe? Is it, the, is it the food we eat? Is it the water we drink? Is that just absolutely pervading us so that when we're, oh, I don't know, in the wilderness being directly tempted by the devil, that we're speaking scripture, that we're speaking the truth of God, that we're relying on the word of God for our response? Are we able to say with Paul, your grace is sufficient for me. Okay. So who's at the helm? Okay. And the other thing we, that we need to look at is um, as we talk about pursuing perfection, as we talk about that undivided wholeness of heart before God, okay. James tells us that we have a real problem, that we can't tame the tongue. Okay? 
No matter how hard we try, he says we can't do it. The next few verses it says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. The tongue, make no mistake about it, we're talking about a deadly beast. We're talking about a beast that cannot be tamed. We, in the power of our flesh, we cannot subdue our hearts. We can't tame our tongues. We can't do all of this by ourselves. What do you do with a deadly beast that cannot be tamed? You put it down. If that deadly beast can't be tamed, if you have a, if you have a dog that attacks another human being, you, you, you can't train that out of him. You have to put the dog down. If you have a wild beast that attacks, if you have a snake that attacks you, you kill it. You don't try to tame it. You kill it. That's what we need to do with that sinful nature. That's what we need to do with that, uh, with the with the sin that's remaining back in our hearts. We need to put it to death. We need a new heart. We can't just reform the one we have. We need a new heart. The Puritans refer to this as the mortification of the sin in the life of the believer. I love the way they talk. Okay. So we need to put it to death. We need to be ruthless about putting it to death. We can't let it have just a little foothold in our lives. Okay. Paul talks in Ephesians again about putting off the old person that grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and being renewed in the spirit of your mind and putting on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what we need to do every day. Put off the old person. Put on the new person. Don't leave that old person on. It grows corrupt. I mean, we know what corruption is. That's, that's decay. That's death. That's, that's carrying around the stench of the old, dead person with us. Okay. Paul asks, how shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? We don't have to do that. We don't have to carry the old person around with us. We don't have to carry that old, dead person around with us. But we need to have that new life. And that new life only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That new life only comes from him. We saw a beautiful picture of that just this morning, and I praise God for that. We have that picture. We have a picture of someone who died to their old self. We have a picture of this right here. Died to their old self. The old self is crucified with Christ. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? Leave the old person in the grave. Let the old person stay in the grave and rot. That's what we need to do. So we need to make no provision for the flesh. Starve it to death. Don't give it what it wants. Not even a little bit. Paul tells us, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Following the ways of the old person leads to death. Following the ways of the old person leads to pain for you and those around you as it's multiplied through your words to others. But if, by the Spirit, 
you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's how to live. As we live as members of the kingdom of God, we need to live in that newness of life. Buried with Christ. Rise to walk in newness of life. We need to walk in that newness of life. But we only have that newness of life if we have a new heart. We only have that newness of life if we trust in Jesus Christ and are reborn in the Holy Spirit. So what Paul's talking, or sorry, what James is talking about here is that deadly beast, unruly evil, full of deadly poison, and he talks about what the deadliness of that poison is. We bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Brothers and sisters, that's murder. We need to take that seriously. We need to take our words seriously. We need to talk, we need to take seriously how we talk about one another. If we are cursing one another, Jesus says, if you curse your brother, it's the same as murder. And in Genesis, we learn that, that that murder is punishable by death. So we need to put to death that part of us that is willing to murder somebody else in our speech. We need to be ruthless about it. So finally, James finishes out with, what does it mean for us to pursue perfection? He says, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. This is the way it is, but they don't have to be that way. They shouldn't be that way. You should not be able to do this. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. This is what James was talking about earlier, in a way, when he was talking about being double-minded. He he rebukes people for being double-minded earlier. He wants us to be perfect. He wants us to be single-minded. He wants that undivided wholeness of heart before God. But when we say that we're blessing God while we're also cursing men who are made in his image, we're being double-minded. We're not, that's not undivided wholeness of heart before God. Okay? And it's unnatural. What is natural for a follower of Jesus Christ is while we're following the Spirit to do the works that God has prepared for us to do. To bless and not curse. To bless those who curse you. To follow Jesus in that way. It's not natural for us to try to bless God and curse those who are made of his image. That's not being, that's not fulfilling our ultimate design. What is our ultimate design? What does God want from us? And we'll finish with this. What God wants from us, what Jesus told us the first and great commandment, what has been preached over and over as we've gone through the book of James, is to love God and love people. That's not what James is picturing here. That's the way it should not be, is to say that you love God and and then hate people. That's not the way that it's supposed to be. Love God, love people. Jesus brings this out. It's the first and great commandment. 
It's the Shema. It's from Deuteronomy 6. This is a prayer from Deuteronomy 6 that devout Jewish men recited morning and evening every day. This was always in the forefront of Jesus' mind. This was always in the forefront of James the Just's mind. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. James makes an allusion to that in chapter 2, because up to that point, the demons are with us. The demons believe in shudder. But after that, that's all us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. They should be as frontlets between they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. That you shall bind them as a sign on your hands. This is to pervade every aspect of our lives, our goings, our comings, our actions, our words, our thoughts. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And how do we love God? Is that just a, a, a fuzzy feeling that we have toward God? We love God by obeying Him. What does God tell us how to do? What is the second commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. So when we're talking about an undivided wholeness of heart before God, we need to focus on loving him with everything that we are, obeying him. And that means that we love one another. He puts us in community. He gives us other people around us so that we can demonstrate our love for him and our love for one another. So we need to demonstrate an undivided wholeness of heart we need to fulfill our ultimate design to be who God created us to be in loving one another, in thought, in deed, and in word. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge. We thank you for the challenge to take up our cross. We thank you for the challenge to put to death the sin that remains in our lives, to root it out, and ruthlessly deal with it. Lord, I pray that we would give no provision to the flesh, but that we would live in undivided wholeness of heart before you. We pray that we would fulfill our ultimate design to glorify you, to enjoy you forever, to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our strength, to love one another as we love ourselves, love one another as Christ loved us. Lord, may we self-sacrificially love one another. And Lord, may we glorify you by being perfect in the way that you have called us to perfection. Lord, grow us, mature us, make us complete, whole people before you. And be glorified in us individually and be glorified in us as a church as we proclaim your great name in our families, in our community, in our nation, wherever you call us. Lord, be glorified in us. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. 
please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville, or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.